here this afternoon. We'll read the entire chapter of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, for we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died. He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master, because you were not under law, but under grace. And the sermon text begins here at verse 15. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. Just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you were now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Over ten years ago, now that uh, our congregation in New Westminster, as far as I'm aware, had basically its first joint events with the congregation of Maranatha Canadian Reforms. And it was to study together the two ways to live course. Two ways to live. And I'm so grateful to this day. I remember it. And and today, our catechism students in the younger class are, are learning it. So grateful for that. 
two ways to live. There is one way to summarize the story of the Bible. The good, glorious gospel of God in which He comes into a world enslaved to sin through the reign of death behind which leers the face of of Satan himself and, and his kingdom. And God steps into that world that has rejected him, that is bound for death and hell. And he says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Here is your salvation. Christ is dead and Christ is risen for you. Receive the gospel. Embrace the gospel. This is your good news. Rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection for your salvation. And so, Paul's letter to the Romans has been presenting to us, first of all, sin, its universality, how we are all condemned in guilt because of our sin and, and we are liable to eternal judgment. But over against that is the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ by which our sins are forgiven. We are acquitted before the judgment seat of God and a perfect righteousness is given to us, a gift. We are clothed with that righteousness and that's ours through the empty hand of of faith. And now the Apostle Paul, as he steps into, we step into Romans 5, into Romans 6, he is unpacking the implications of that gospel for our lives. And here in verses 15 to 23, the implication can be summarized in this way. There are two ways to live. There's one way that is obedience to sin. Sin is your employer. Sin is your master. And you receive its wages at the end of the day, which is death. Sin consumes you. Sin eats you. And then it's all over. And you're dead. Not only physical death, but eternal death in the hell of fire. On the other hand, the other road is the gift of God. We cannot earn that. It is not a wage paid for work put in. It is a gift given to us on the basis of Christ's finished work. His perfect life, His sacrificial death, His victorious resurrection, His ascension, all that He has earned for us on our behalf, now this is a gift given to us. And the obvious, rhetoric, the obvious question is, which path will you choose? Whom will, whom will you serve? There are two ways to live. Which way will you take? And we'll see this afternoon, that as we consider these two pathways, the clear call to us, the clear message for believers, Paul is talking explicitly to believers. That doesn't mean it's not also for unbelievers. Of course it is. We all need, whether we are believers or unbelievers, to repent and believe the gospel, to come to the Lord Jesus Christ who alone is our help and our hope and our salvation. The message is explicitly and and first of all to believers Because Paul is talking to those who claim Christ, who have been baptized. And he says in verses 1 to 14, be who you are. You were baptized, 
Baptism is a sign and seal of you dying with Jesus and rising with him. This now is what marks your life, the death and the resurrection of your, of, of your Lord Jesus Christ. And this therefore must also be present in your life. This is who you are. You're dead to sin. You are free from its power, its dominion. Its power is still felt, I should say, but you're free from its dominion and its rule. Now be who you are in Jesus Christ. Now as we step into verses 15 to 23, Paul is going to unpack a little bit more that demand, that call, that claim upon our lives. Verses 1 to 14 is very much about who are you in Jesus? And now it's, and what are the implications of that for your life? A theme we'll consider this under is God's grace in Christ. All of God's saving blessings are found in Jesus Christ. We can't separate his grace from his person. We need to come to Christ for that grace. But God's grace in Christ claims us for his service. God's grace in Christ claims us for his service. And as we look at that theme, look at three aspects of, this, of these verses. We're not going to walk through it point by point as we go through the verses, but see how these three aspects are kind of woven through the text. The first aspect is that grace demands our service. Grace demands our service. But not only does grace demand our service, we'll see secondly, grace gives what it demands. That is, grace empowers our service. This is what separates it so much from sin and even from the law. Grace empowers what God demands of us. God's grace enables us to fulfill that calling. And then thirdly and finally, we'll see how grace motivates us for service. Grace motivates us for life change. Grace demands our service. We don't often think of grace demanding. Often think of grace giving, and that's absolutely true. Grace does give grace. We think of as God's power, of God's gift, of unmerited favor. But grace does demand. When Jesus saves us, He doesn't say, give me some parts of your life or give me your life and I'm going to uh, fix it up a little bit and then you're all set. No, he says what? Unless you lose your life for my sake, you will not find it. And if you try to preserve your life, if you try to hang on to it, you will lose it. In other words, Jesus is saying to us, when you come follow me, I give you a whole new life. It's still you still you know the one whom God created you to be but now I truly give you that life you you are a new person a new creation you are raised from the dead with the Lord Jesus Christ God gives us a new life in the Lord Jesus and so it's instructive to us to see the 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 the, the great type of salvation in the old testament that um, touchstone of Israel's salvation that pointed ahead to the cross of Christ, namely the Exodus, in which the Israelites were enslaved to Egypt, enslaved to Pharaoh's power, 
And God brought them out of there. He gave them freedom. He purchased them for, for freedom. And what was that freedom? It was not to live however they wanted, like however they wanted. It was not to say, as, as some might say, well, God accepts me as I am and he just wants me to, me to be happy. No, true freedom is found in service to God. And so God says to Pharaoh, let my son go that he may worship me. There are these two ways to live. Grace demands everything. But it doesn't, grace, God's in his grace does not demand everything from us so that he can consume us, but so that he can bring us into his freedom, into the liberty of, of his kingdom, to set us free from that which consumes and eats and brings us into destruction, to instead bring us into his life. And so, we sung from Psalm 1. There are these two ways to live. The one is the way of sin. And where does it lead? Well, it, it, it leads, you're, you're like the chaff that the wind blows away. It all comes to absolutely nothing. And on the other hand is the one who, who trusts in the Lord and attends the means of grace and loves his word and he puts down roots and bears fruit. And this is a flourishing and a stable life. It faces tribulation. Yes, it does. But this life is, is stable. There is a blessing in that life of, of following the Lord. The demands of God's grace that is not something that consumes us, but that brings us into His freedom. The logic of this demand is that because you were united to Christ by faith, you died with Christ to sin, you can't go on living in sin. A couple of places where we see this demand in these verses. First of all, verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. And this is, this is fairly simple logic. Whomever you present yourself to obey, if you look at your life, well, what do you see in your life? And as we honestly examine our lives and we ask, well, what do other people see? What do I see? What, do I, what, what does my church family see in my, in my life? How about my family? What I'm like at home? How about at the workplace? How about online where nobody but my anonymous online buddies can see me? What about in my private life? where no one can see me except for God. Who am I? What does my life look like? And Paul is saying, whatever that looks like, whomever you give your, the best strength of your life to, your strength, your heart, your mind, your soul, whomever you give the best, the first fruits of your life to, that is your master. Because there are only two ways to live. You can't serve God and mammon. Yes, there are a smorgasbord of religions and competing theologies out there, but at the end of the day, it comes down to two. There's the way of sin, Paul says, or there's the way of obedience. Sin leads to death, and obedience leads to righteousness. Grace demands our service. And again, Paul roots this in what is already true of us. Verse 18, you 
have been set free from sin. And it's important to realize here that in the context of verses 1 to 14, this is not saying, the, Paul is not saying that all of our sins are gone. We have no struggle with sin anymore. That would defeat the whole purpose for Romans 6. Paul is explicitly telling us to fight against sin, to offer ourselves up to God in righteousness, not in the ways of sin. In 1 John chapter 1 and 2, explicitly say, you know, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. It's just not true. We all have sin still present in our lives. But a Christian, Romans 6 is saying, you claim Christ, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have been, you know, and, and, and baptism signifies and seals this. You are set free from the dominion of sin. Sin's back has been broken. It's still present as a rebel in your life, but it has no true rights to you anymore. Christ does. Christ is king. Grace reigns. And grace demands then our service. That's the overall thrust of verses 15 to 23. You are a slave to whichever, whomever you obey, either sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness. And so, in verse 19, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. And you'll notice there in verse 19, And the Apostle Paul says, I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves. That is to say, I'm talking about, I'm using the institution of slavery as an example. Don't go thinking that following Jesus is just like chattel slavery. Of course, one of the big differences is that Christ doesn't force us into anything that we don't want to do. The Holy Spirit, what he does is he changes the desires of our hearts, changes our loves, our affections, so that now our desires are for Christ and we follow him from our hearts. This is not chattel slavery in which we are forced and bought and sold and in that kind of crude manner. Oh, Christ is a good Savior and a good Master. Grace demands everything. Secondly, grace empowers us for life service. Already in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been saying unequivocally that even though you have the presence of sin in your life, even though that is still there, remember who you are. Believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5 verse 2, you stand in grace. That's where you stand. Justified. Forgiven, made new. And standing in justification, standing in the righteousness of Christ, clothed with that righteousness, this is now who you are. That cannot never be taken away from you. You are a child of the Lord. And when sin attacks you, when you feel its struggle, when you wake up in the morning and you think, here we go again, or you go to bed at nights and you're beating yourself up, We need to remember that first of all, grace empowers us by enabling us to say, I am a a sinner, yes, but I am forgiven. 
and what, what, what needs to fill my, the horizon of my life is not my guilt and not despair and not beating myself up, but coming again to Jesus Christ and saying, thank you, thank you for the forgiveness of my sins. Now help me. Help me to live this new life. And that's, that's where Paul is taking us here in terms of empowering us. Grace empowers us. Verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, Don't, um, But thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted, or a better translation is to which you were delivered. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now notice a couple things here. First of all, thanks be to God, who was what? When you were enslaved to sin, He delivered you over to this body of teaching, that is to the gospel of, of God, the apostolic doctrine, explaining and applying the finished work of Jesus Christ. God delivered you over to this from your heart. God did this. It was ultimately a work of the Lord in which He moved your heart. And He created, or He took out that heart of stone, as Ezekiel 36 says, and gave you a heart of flesh. So that you were now committed to this doctrine, to this body of teaching. He was the one who set you free from sin. Notice verse 18 is passive. Not, and you set yourselves free. No, you have been set free. You have become slaves to righteousness. This is something that God did. He brought you out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into His freedom. He brought you out of slavery to sin through the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and into this grace in which you now stand. That is to say, in our fight against sin, in this call to live a life of obedience unto righteousness and holiness. It is always God's activity which undergirds, forms the basis of, is the soil in which our activity grows and upon which our activity depends. There's that verse in Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, which is at first so jarring and then so comforting. Where Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That this is a sweaty struggle and we must be involved. We are called to this activity. And then he says, for it is God who is at work in you to will. That is, he gives you the desires and to do and the ability God who is at work within you to will and to do according to His good pleasure. And so brothers and sisters, when I say or when any other pastor says or when you encourage one another and you say run to Jesus, strong and kind. Go to Jesus. Go to Christ. Go to His Word. Go to Him in prayer. Take part in the means of grace. Eat the, you know, t- partake in the Lord's Supper. Go to worship. All of that is because our work, our growth in grace is entirely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the beginning of this passage, Paul says, Shall we sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Now, what does Paul mean when he says we're not under law, but we're under grace? Well, back in Romans 3, he has said, The law, what does the law do? The law condemns all men in their sin. And it leaves everyone guilty before God. You are no longer under that law. You are now under grace. The difference being this law, not that Paul is saying, let's do away with the Ten Commandments. Romans 7 and Romans 8 very clearly says otherwise. But he's saying if you think of these as two realms, two powers, what can the law do? Well, it can show you your sin, shows you how you fall short, shows you how you were guilty, and it condemns you. And it's powerless to save you. If we're going to depend upon ourselves and our own righteousness, and we're going to find our strength within us here, Paul is saying the law is your power and it is helpless. Because in here is nothing but sin. In yourself you have nothing Nothing to meet the standard of God's righteousness. No power, no life within you to bring this about. But grace is altogether different. With grace, God says, let me do it for you. And the Lord Jesus Christ comes and he takes your guilt. And he carries it to the cross. And he says, let me take your life and I'll live it for you. I'll be born in a manger. And I'll suffer all the temptations you suffer. And I'll carry all the sorrows you carry. And I'll be acquainted with all the griefs you are acquainted with. And I will carry those. And I will fulfill that life faithfully. Head, heart, hand to the cross. And then even though I don't deserve one bit of this, I will offer my life up to bear that sin. To bear that guilt and the punishment for it. And rising from the grave, now I give this to you. And now all the resources of Christ are for us. As Paul himself will say in Ephesians 1, that power which raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father, that's yours. And I don't believe that very often. I confess that. But it is life-changing, truly life-changing in every sense of the word. We say, Lord Jesus Christ, I can't do this. And I am a sinner. And I feel the presence of sin in my life. And I feel the tug of its power. And sometimes it threatens to rule me. Perhaps even today, you say it's beginning to rule me. Or it is ruling me. And here's the grace of God. God demands everything of us. In His grace. But He gives us everything. Everything that he demands, he also gives to us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, the law condemns, it is powerless to save, but Christ says, come, and I will give you a new life, and I will be at work within you. Come, rest in me, and find your life in me. So grace empowers us. Thirdly and finally, grace motivates us. I'm going to be more brief with this, but these are beautiful promises. Grace motivates us. We see two ways in this passage in which 
grace motivates us. The first is grace motivates us with blessings. And by motivations, I mean these promises, you can say it's, it's God holding out the carrot. Now, that makes it sound kind of trite, but in which God is calling us forward with these blessings, these rewards, gracious rewards, not earned, but given to us as a gift. And these blessings of following him, of living life in his service. And the first is the blessing in which righteousness becomes its own reward. A blessing in this life already. Verse 19, beginning in the second sentence, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to an ever-increasing wickedness. What does sin do? Sin makes us less and less human. Paul says in verse 20, when you were slave to, slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness and the sinful human heart, the unbelieving person, thinks isn't this great. can live life on my own terms, but actually blind to the facts that none of that's true. Lives life on sin's terms. And sin always demands more. And so you offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. It always demands more. So now, he says, offer them in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. Righteousness and holiness. The way of the transgressor is hard. But the way of righteousness is the way of blessing. And I'll just add one simple reminder to us in this. So often we don't obey God's commands because we don't believe His promises. He says, look, you walk in this way and here are the rich promises, here are the blessings. And because we don't think God is really good and doesn't really mean it, we choose not to go the way of His commands. But we know God is good. And we've seen His goodness in the cross of Christ. And when he commands us to go down a pathway and he promises blessing in that, we believe that. And say, God, you are good. Your commands are good. They are life for me. And I will walk in that way, in the way of blessing. The final motivation or the second motivation is not only blessing in this life, but eternal life in the new creation. But now, verse 22 But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, remember, he says, Christian, who you are. Don't look at your sin. Don't look at your failures. You look at Jesus Christ and what He has done. All that He has done, that is now yours. If you believe in Him. Now follow Him. Now live for Him. Now there must be righteousness and there must be new life and there must be life change. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. A home of righteousness in which we see the face of the Lord Jesus Christ and we live forever and ever in a place of peace and righteousness and unending joy. And here's the motivation then for the Christian life. We know that if we belong to Jesus, we've died and risen with him signified and sealed in our baptism. If we truly belong to him, his life will be at work in us by his spirit. 
And we will manifest in our lives, not perfectly, far, far from it, but truly, godly desires for Him. A desire to lead a new life. Our lives will be characterized that we, we live, not again, not perfectly. We're so often failing. But the, dire- the, the direction of our lives is now turned in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ and of righteousness and holiness if that is not true of us at all. And instead we live for self-interest and we give the best of our life to sin. And we will not inherit eternal life because Christ is not truly in us. That's, that's, the, that's the motivation here. Say, do you want to go to heaven? Do you want to see God? Well, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do you want to see God? Then make a break with sin. Fight sin. Commit yourself again to that fight against sin. And if today you say, I don't have any of this, and I'm a slave, and I don't want to be that. I want to have this new life. I want to be in the new creation with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is all right here for you as it is for each and every one of us. Well, who makes a break with sin in your life? It is Jesus. You come to Him. You can't make a break with sin without Him. Each and every day of our lives, we depend upon Him to break that that to make a break with sin and to sustain us in that all the way to the new creation. It was grace that taught my heart to fear. And it is ultimately grace that will lead me home. Amen. And let's sing in response Psalm 84, stanzas 1, 5, and 6.